Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome to Soul to Soul. This is Rabbi Ari Kivman. We are live to you today from the Chai FM studios of Sandton Central at Kivman headquarters. Uh, just kidding around with you here today, but we are coming to you live from Skype. That's right. We are not going into the studio due to the current coronavirus situation. Today's show, I want to talk about DIY Seder, how to do it yourself, very simple tips and tools, how to make your own Seder, and should you make your own Seder? It's certainly a question on a lot of people's minds at the moment. They tell a good old joke about this king who had a Jewish advisor, Haimu, let's call him, and the king relied very much on Haimu's wisdom. One day he decided to promote Haimu to become his chief advisor, but there was only one problem, is being a Catholic country as it was, he had to convert Jaime, being a loyal servant to the king, obeyed, but felt really, really bad. How could I, as a Jew, abandon my faith? So, as the good old joke goes, with all his remorse, he finally mustered the courage to come to the king and says, You know, I was born as a Jew, and as a Jew as I'll, I'll always be, do whatever you want with me, but I am not leaving the Jewish faith. The king had no idea that Jaime felt so strong about his conversion. He says, okay, okay, I need you so much. If that's how you feel, go ahead and be a Jew again. You're too important for me to lose. So Jaime comes home with a big smile on his face, turns to his wife, he says, Sarah, Sarah, we're Jews again. We can be Jews again. Sarah looks at him with that glare, you know, that look. And she says, couldn't you wait until after Pesach? You're going to be doing all the Pesach cleaning this year. A bit to recollect that, but... Seder, Pesach, it's a Jewish highlight of the year, especially here in South Africa where we're a nice, traditional, beautiful Jewish community. And certainly for many, our fondest Jewish memories revolve around the Seder. The celebration of the Seder this year is obviously going to be very, very different. And instead of celebrating with friends or extended family, I know about our Pesach retreat that we usually go together to do the Pesach retreat and uh, this year, we're going to be celebrating alone. Thank God I've got my beautiful family, my wife, and my children. But for other people, they might just be all alone or just with their spouse. And I know the stresses, the strain, the anxiety. A lot of people have been talking with me about the challenges of running such a Pesach. And that's why I want to talk a little bit about that today, because I certainly think that it's something that's doable. And our commitment to celebrating Pesach certainly is strong. Even in the most difficult situations, our ancestors have always found ways to mark this special occasion. And, you know, some people, unfortunately, I'm hearing people who are very down and uh, people who, who just decided they're not going to do Pesach. And I don't think that's the right attitude to have but rather we got to find a way to make it work. If you think even in the concentration camps, I'll share with you an amazing story. 1943, there was one camp resident, Moshe Pearl, related, you can Google the story, but I want to read the story to you. He says, the people in the camp were already used to their miserable situation. They saw death before their eyes, but they asked, where could we get flour? How could we bake matzah? That was the question on their eyes, on their minds. And shortly before Pesach, one of the SS men came into the camp. And Maisha Pearl relates how he entered his workshop. 
this is where Moshe had a job. He would paint signs. And he asked them to make some dummy targets for target practice. And just then, this idea, brilliant epiphany that flashed in his mind, he came, he said that in order to make the targets, the dummies that you want, Moshe asked him for flour. He said, I need a lot, a lot of flour to paste the pictures of soldiers on the targets. So the SS guard, the Nazi Amachshemar asked how much flour, and he said, I'm going to need at least five kilograms. So the Nazi arranged those five kilos of flour, and in the meantime, Moshe says the Jews of his camp got working, and they started to bake matzahs in secret, and even though they knew that they would die if they were caught, but Pesach was so precious and special and important to them that they were willing to risk their lives. And so clandestinely they moved into Moshe Pearl's workroom. They kept the doors, the windows sealed, and they were baking matzah. And when the night of the Seder actually came, 20 Jews managed to pull off a Seder, where aside from matzah, what they ate was potatoes. And they drank homemade wine, which was not actually wine, but rather consisted of water and sugar that they managed to make a special drink to consider that wine. And they even managed to share memories of the Haggadah, their actual individual Pesach seders. And as Moshe concludes his story, he says, while the Nazis succeeded in destroying so many Jewish lives, they failed to destroy the Jewish life that these Jews were able to experience that Pesach. So there are many, obviously, lots of challenges that we face with Pesach. And many people, I work with senior citizens in the community and fielding so many phone calls and questions. And many people are saying, well, if my grandchildren, my relatives can't be do Pesach with me, if I can't have my friends over, maybe I should just cancel the Pesach this year. And what I want to say is don't despair. Firstly, in other communities, I tell people, well, do what you can. But I want you all to know the phone calls I get from Jews in Lesotho, in Namibia, in other countries nearby, in Limpopo, in other provinces here in South Africa, asking for provisions to do their sadarim. And we at Chabad House are assisting them in every way possible. And we're obviously calling on other Jewish organizations in the community to assist us in assisting them. Kosher world, Moshis are able to do deliveries, are able to ship items, provisions that people need for the Pesach star. I'm dealing with a fellow Jew today from Lesotho who wants Shmura Matzah. And we're making ways, arrangements that we can get it to them. I've been dealing with Jewish senior citizens who live in Ranki Slachter and in Elfin Lodge and in other retirement villages that are not under the Chabra Kedisha auspices where it's a little bit more challenging to rank Pesach. And people are literally risking because the home does not provide kosher for Pesach food. We at Chabadas were able to provide them a Shmura Matzah. But we're able to assist people and they're able to make the arrangements. If people can't afford there are communal organizations that can assist one with the provisions they need to make their Pesach Seders. And so the point I'm making is there's no reason to despair. And it's sad to me that see, seeing young people who say to themselves, we can't do Pesach. If senior citizens at Elfin Lodge are making a plan, if elderly people at Ranki Slachta and people in Limpopo and, and Lesotho are making a plan, then everyone here could make some kind of plan to celebrate Pesach even if it's not as sophisticated and as grand 
as you're used to. And so a lot has been canceled. People are saying, well, the same for Pesach. But no, Pesach is not canceled. And Pesach can be celebrated with your family or even by yourself in quarantine and isolation. You could do it. Don't allow the circumstances, the situation, to dictate your behavior. As we said last week, we're going to ask ourselves, what can I do at this time? And if we go back to the very first Pesach, we learn that while the Jews ate the carbon Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, when they were still in Egypt, very first Pesach, they were actually quarantined in their homes, some with their extended family. And they weren't allowed to leave their home their entire night, the entire first evening of Pesach. It wasn't a communal celebration. This wasn't, there were no communal elements to this ritual. God instructed that this should be a family affair, that you celebrate with your family. And although they were about to become a nation, here's a very important message and lesson for us. You need to realize that there was something special and unique about the individuality, about the people with whom you share your living space, about the individual yourself, that you are indispensable to God. Nations tend to swallow up individuals. And this is why the Carbon Pesach was a family-based message. And it was so important that people get together with their families to celebrate Pesach. This is the message for us now, is that yes, we're going back to the original. This year, we're going back to the way it was back then. Usually, you're with a family, you're at a retreat, you're with others. This year, God wants something else from us. God wants us, ourselves, as individuals. And therefore, I'm saying is, you want to do it with Zoom, whatever. There's obviously halachic limitations, and I think you could do it before Yom Tov. You could have the, mom- the, the moments of sharing with your friends and family. But on Yom Tov itself, it's time to celebrate Pesach. And on that note, Chayafan is a very important message for you. That is, if you live alone, especially during the next 21 days, then you need to know about the Chai FM Helpline check-in service. Our counselors will call you on a regular basis to check in and make sure you're okay. It's available to anyone of any age who feels the need for it. Make contact with us by calling the helpline on 800 Again, that's 800 it's high FM, 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. And indeed, I could tell you that they've really been very tremendously helpful. There are people who part of our senior citizens programs that they've been calling. And certainly it's worthwhile if anyone needs to touch base with the high FM check-in service. Chai FM Helpline. Chai FM, your station of choice since 2008. And we are back live here. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivan. Great to talk with you today. We're doing DIY Seder, how to do your Seder at home. And so far we talked about why you should do the Seder and how you, you should you make your own Seder. And obviously we certainly should. Let's talk a little bit about the how to make your Seder. That's very important as well. So let's discuss a little bit about, you know, we talk about symptoms. I mean, that's the word on everyone's lips these days with COVID-19 going on. And everybody's concerned about symptoms. 
But, you know, as the word implies, it's not the symptoms that we're worried about, but that which causes the symptoms, which is the virus itself. And it's just that the virus is obviously unobservable. We can't see it. But even when someone gets the symptoms, God forbid, it's not the real concern. The real concern is that the symptoms mean we have it. And I think if you want to twist it in a more positive sense, a basic principle of Judaism is that everything that happens in this world is actually only a symptom. It's a symptom of some sort of spiritual energy that has been unleashed in higher spiritual realms. So this is also true about miracles. When a miracle, such as the exodus from Egypt, that we're celebrating, occurs, that happened 3,332 years ago, it's because then there was a special, supernatural, divine energy that was present at the time. The physical exodus was a symptom of the spiritual energy that was conducive for liberation and freedom that was present on that fateful night of Yitzhak Mitzrayim when our ancestors left Egypt. And the point is, if you look at our calendar from a Jewish perspective, it's circular. Every year and every date, the same spiritual energies are present. So that same energy, the very same energy that allowed for the miracle of the Exodus 3,332 years ago, is also present every single year on the same night. We ourselves can tap into that experience, into that liberation as well. So why do we make a Seder? It's not commemorating, we're reenacting. We're not living history, we're tapping into an existing reality. So an essential part of the Seder is a question we have to all ask ourselves. In which area of my life do I lack freedom? What are the unholy habits that limit and enslave me and don't allow me to maximize myself, my soul, to be who I want to be, to be who I can truly be, to understand that the Seder night is the time when we can go free. The Jews in Egypt didn't even have the power to go free on their own. They needed divine assistance. And the truth is, if we want to be honest with ourselves, sometimes we also need assistance from above. So even if we don't have the power ourselves on the night of Pesach, we're granted that divine assistance to do so. And the energy is quite literally in the air. On the night of Pesach in Egypt, God told the Jews to do certain things that would allow them to merit the experience of redemption. And of course, then was eating the matzah and the marah and the carbon Pesach. But we do the same. We, by following through with the celebration of Pesach, we tap into that special energy, that superpower from above. I want to share with you a story about a particular Jew. And it's a great story of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of who hears from Elijah the prophet, who had the best Seder in Bardichev that night. And it wasn't him. It was this drunk Jew, Moshe the Shikr. You would think Moshe the Shikr, the drunkard, Moshe, how could he have the very best Seder in all of Bardichev? Not even the holy rabbi. I mean, this guy was hardly a religious Jew. And so, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak called for Moshe the Shikr the drunkard, to be called into his office, into his home the next morning. 
And he comes in and he's screaming, he's promising, I promise I'll never do it again, I'll never do it again. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak asks, what won't you do again? Start from the beginning, tell me what it is. And Moshe Shikr begins to tell his life story, how he was orphaned at a very young age. And uh, the Hebrew Kadisha facilities in his community weren't as warm and welcoming as in ours. And so unfortunately, he had to endure the hardships of raising himself as an orphan. And to get by, he must, he, he succumbed to the addiction of drinking. And so he became, he had the habit of being a drunkard. Luckily, he was able to send his children to Cheder, to the Jewish school in his town. But unfortunately, he himself wasn't very learned. And when his kids came home and told him that the alcohol, the whiskey that he drinks is actually chametz and forbidden to be consumed on Pesach, he felt terrible. He said, what will I do now as a real drunkard for eight days without a Seder, without, sorry, without his whiskey? So he gave it some thought and he came up with a brilliant plan. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drink eight days worth of whiskey on Erev Pesach. The only problem was when you drink eight days worth of whiskey in one shot, he was in a slumber. He was sleeping and finally his wife and kids are doing all the Erev Pesach arrangements in their home, all the preparations. She says, Mashallah, it's time to go to shul. And he pushes the snooze button and says, Honey, five more minutes, I'll get up. But as five minutes pass and ten minutes pass, people are already going to shul. You can hear the singing at shul. And people are coming home from shul. And my shul is still sleeping. And as each family and all the neighbors are reciting Kiddush, Maishul is shlaft. And you can hear the families already washing urchats and eating their karpas and cracking the matzos for yachats. And everybody's reciting the Haggadah. And you hear the children telling over, asking the four questions and singing the Hishamda and Dayenu. And Maishul is still sleeping. You can already hear the neighbors all enjoying their shulchan arach. The delicious meal, you could hear everyone's dishes crackling. And Moshe schluffed. But now it's nearly midnight. And we know that Safun, the Afikoman, has to be consumed before midnight, which here will be at 12.09 a.m. next week. And Moshe is still sleeping, and his wife finally gives it to him. She says, Moshe, shame on you. Everyone has had a Pesach Seder Baditchev except for you, all thanks to your terrible habit, your addiction of alcohol consumption. And with that, ooh, did it touch a chord in his heart. He wakes up and gathers his family and says, my dear Kindalach, I've got a problem. And he obviously confessed and realized this problem. And so he tells his family, if this is what my alcohol consumption habit can do to me, then this is not worthwhile. And so, while I don't know, and I'm not the most religious, I do know that in this day our ancestors were emancipated by God from their slavery in Egypt. And in this day I ask God to liberate me from my slavery to my habits and addictions. 
And now Rabbi Levi Yitzchak understood why the best Seder in town was the one of Moshe the Shikr. Because it is not just about going through the rituals. It's about experiencing it ourselves. It's about actually feeling the experience in our life and making it relevant and real in our lives and tapping into the energy that's present on the day. So now let's talk about how we did discuss the how. Let's talk about the what, right? When you go to a birthday party, there's usually a birthday cake and candles and happy birthday songs. Imagine if somebody asked, how much cake should we eat? How long does the birthday song have to last? You look at them like they're mishudah, like they're nuts. And for many Jews, the Seder is something similar. We get together, we celebrate, we nibble on traditional foods, and we move on from there. But one of the most important things to realize is that there actually is a right way of how to carry out a Seder. And that's what the very word means. What does Seder mean? Seder means order. There's an exact order to the system of how to celebrate. There are many examples in life that are similar. You think of a bride wants her wedding gown to be just so. And you think about sports rules for athletes and and, and the rules of, of the road. And an email address that's not typed in precisely. Just one letter off. And it's not going to reach its destination. Try to make a phone number and get one digit off. And it's not going to go through. And the truth is mitzvahs aren't any different. The nuances and details of each mitzvah have meaning and accomplish something. The amount of matzah, the timing of the Seder, the items on the Seder plate, each detail carries vast profundity. And just as that dot in the URL of a web page is more than just the dot, and you're not going to get to the website you want to go to if you miss the dot, the same thing is with how we celebrate the Pesach Seder. And think of a human smile. One way of describing it is as an upward pulling. Just a moment, please. As we are in a live studio. I've got kids here. We're touching buttons. My apologies. So just like I said, if you think about a human smile, you, you look at the facial expressions, the muscles. Everyone understands that this only captures the external expression of a smile. The movements of the muscles are a reflection of a much deeper emotional feeling. And the same thing I want to say is the actions of the mitzvahs are all reflections of something deep and profound. The details of the action might not seem significant when you're looking at it externally. But from the inner perspective, for what they represent, it makes a huge difference. And here's a, a famous Hasidic thought experiment. You know, we got to tell the story, I actually read it to my kids the other night, of a Hasidic Jew who was in Soviet Russia, banished to the distant gulag for a terrible crime of supporting Jewish observance. My own father grew up in the Soviet Union and related stories of that. My grandmother, who I had a very special relationship with, told me many stories. She herself was in the front line in helping Hasidim to preserve the continuity of Yiddishkeit underground in Russia. And this particular Hasid was in the Gulag out in Siberia. And every year he would get a, a, a package from his family, matzah and other Pesach provisions, wine, etc., horseradish. 
But one year it was intercepted by the authorities. It was confiscated. He was really heartbroken. And on the eve of Pesach, after hours of, of strenuous, arduous labor, he sits in the barracks and he starts to meditate and contemplate and think about the meaning of matzah. And he's, tr- he's, he's just tearfully yearning to fulfill the mitzvah because he actually couldn't fulfill a real Seder. He was just doing it himself there. That's one person. And he tells the story many years later. Then there's a Jew here in Santon who got a very busy life. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Eric Keatman. We are live to you from Keatman Studios in Santon Central. Please excuse the background noise, but we have some Keatman kids running around and trying to be as quiet as possible and polite so we don't disturb. Well, right now we're going to talk about the actually central items of the Seder. And the key items for your Seder are, number one, matzah. If you don't have matzah yet, I advise that you touch base as soon as possible to one of the kosher shops because I'm sure some of them still do have matzah. You can make an arrangement to get to you. If you have a way to get to me, I've also got some shmora matzah available. I'll be glad to assist. Number two is wine. If you don't have wine yet, you're going to have to use grape juice because any sale of alcohol now is forbidden during quarantine, during the lockdown. Number three would be the six items of your Seder plate. Let's discuss each of these for a moment. So let's talk about the matzah, okay? It's a mitzvah in the Torah that we have to actually eat matzah on the evening of Pesach. Jewish people, we know our ancestors, they prepared dough on the night of the Exodus. But rushing to leave, they didn't have the time to wait for the dough to rise. We also recall that it's also the bread of affliction. So we have both elements there. And the first thing is that they had their unleavened bread because they left in such a hurry. And the second thing, it reminds us of the poverty of slavery. The irony is how expensive matzah is today was once upon a time called poor man's bread, but we won't talk about that now. The, at its core, matzah, if you think about it, is so simple. And that's why it's considered a poor man's bread because it's just flour and water. Right? It's prepared and baked carefully as we discussed previously about shmura matzah, all of the proper stringencies that are taken in, into consideration. Although I gotta tell you, I've been talking to some people who can't get their hands on matzah this year. And instead of making it themselves, and that's totally fine if you can follow the procedures and do it properly yourself. But if you think about the simplicity of matzah, and you need three matzahs for your Seder plate. Of course, if there's more people with you in your home and your family, then you will need more for the minimum requirements. But if you're by yourself, I would say you need at least three matzahs. Now, there's obviously different types of matzah. Ideally, you should use the Shmura matzah that was guarded and protected all the way through. But if you've got the different types of matzahs that are available, see what's available in the shops, get what's the best option available. By the way, the importance of matzah, I'll share with you, there was once a very wealthy philanthropist, a supporter of Chabad, who met with the Rebbe before Pesach and gave the Rebbe literally an empty check. He said, you fill in, signed check. Fill in the amount, use it for something big. I want to support a big project. And 
he thought it would be used perhaps to build a big shul, million dollars, how much could you spend? And the Rebbe's response was, the call of the hour and the moment is to distribute matzahs. The Rebbe initiated this large-scale matzah distribution campaign. And we know here in South Africa, here at Chabad House, we've been distributing thousands and thousands of matzah. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And we are back. So we talked about the importance of having your matzah at the Pesach Seder. We also talked about the importance of having wine. Of course, if you cannot consume wine, especially if one is allergic or diabetic or any other reasons, then drink grape juice. And if you cannot drink wine or grape juice, speak to your rabbi who will advise you on what other options you have. Same thing with the matzah. If a person is gluten intolerant or any other reason cannot eat matzah, there are other ways of going about it. One could perhaps get gluten-free matzah. And of course, if it's detrimental to your health, then don't eat it. But that's only if it's medically detrimental to your health. So as we said, we got to begin the umtiv not just with one cup for Kiddush, but rather we know there's the four cups at four specific intervals of our Seder. Now, in the Torah, we know there's four expressions of redemption, which are symbolized by the four cups of wine. For those who like in Matria, the word kosyayin is an numerical value of 156. And four times 156 is 624, which is the same gematria in America value, the word cheres, which means freedom. Now, as thinking human beings, we try to understand and appreciate the things we do. And certainly in Yiddishkeit, we should appreciate, we should understand. And the wine symbolizes that endeavor, that wine is something we can taste, we can savor, we can appreciate. On the other hand, matzah, which is, like we said, the simple poor man's bread, the food of slavery, it's simple to make, right? There's nothing complex about its taste at all. It's very, very simple. And that symbolizes another element of our relationship with God. When we don't taste, when we don't appreciate it, we don't understand. And that is, Judaism requires both elements to our relationship with God. We can't truly celebrate our Judaism in a way that's limited to what we like. But we can't limit it to just following orders by rote. When we, when our ancestors and we, every single soul, accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, what was our declaration? Na'aseh nishma. It's both. Na'aseh is the faith, and nishma is the appreciation that we could comprehend and savor it. And when you learn Torah, that's the way it should be. And here, Pesach, when it comes to your Seder, there has to be both elements. On the one hand, you got to do it. On the other hand, you should appreciate and celebrate every single moment. And that we're going to talk about now, after the ad break, the details of how to celebrate the Seder. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. We are talking here about your Seder. And let's now go quickly into your Seder plates because with only a few days left to Pesach, getting your last minute shopping in the time that's allowed or otherwise ask the shops to deliver to you. Here are the main ingredients to your Seder. We talked about the matzah, we talked about the grape juice or wine. Now, 
let's look at the Seder plate. On the Seder plate, we have six items, but it's not really six. Okay, our sages instituted that we have to have two cooked or roasted items that that basically are the main dishes that were consumed during the Temple era as as the Pesach celebration. So, for example, there was the Korban Pesach and the Korban Chagiga. What could you use? There are actually many different options, but I'll share with you the Chabad custom that I'm familiar with. And probably you're also familiar with. Number one is you have the cooked egg, which is on the top right side of your Seder plate. The cooked egg symbolizes the Korban Chagiga. It means the festival sacrifice that was offered. On the top left, we have the Zroa, which is a... There's different options what you could use. I know that we use a chicken bone. Some people use um, a leg or a wing, and they roast it, take off as much meat as possible, roast it, and that symbolizes the Paschal lamb that was consumed in temple times. We do not eat this item at all. The egg is the one that's going to be dipped into the salt water later as, so to say, your appetizer, your hors d'oeuvre, before you begin the actual shulchan aruch, the dinner. Now, in the middle, you're going to have your mara, the bitter herbs. Now, this is actually a biblical origin. We know the Torah says, on that night, about the korban pesach, the paschal lamb, that it should be a matzot umrarimichlu, with matzah and mara, the relish. So, mara itself literally means bitter. And there are different, there are different options that people use for this bitterness to actually experience, so to say, the agonies, the bitterness of our servitude in Egypt. So, you know, you gotta go with what you like. Some, I, my father would use endive and romaine lettuce, a horseradish, of course, horseradish. There are many other options as well. I'm not going to go through all of them right here, right now. We're very short on time. But some people wonder why romaine lettuce? Because personally, I know that I like romaine lettuce. It's got a very nice, crispy, delicious taste. And we put it in our salads. But it's not very bitter. One explanation is, that's given is that although romaine lettuce isn't bitter, but if it's left unharvested, it actually becomes very bitter. And the same applied to our journey in Egypt. While we were originally invited as royal guests, remember how Yaakov and his family came down as their brother Joseph was the viceroy of the country, but ultimately it led to bitter slavery. And in a sense, that's what we symbolize when we use Romaine lettuce, but remember the horseradish. I know it's very, very sharp tasting, Personally, I find it clear in the sinuses. It's very healthy during this time of the year. But you could get that. I did see it at some of our fruit and veg shops. Get some of the horseradish. Use the chrein. On the bottom right, you're going to want to have some haroset. What is haroset? It looks like a thick mortar. And that symbolizes what our ancestors had to make to build the pyramids in Egypt. Now, how to make it as many different recipes Different ingredients, some people use ground raw fruit, nuts, spices, cinnamon. Again, many different family and community customs and traditions. I know that uh, some people use 
apples and pears and dates and pomegranates and walnuts and almonds and ginger, you name it. Do what your family does. The Chabad custom is very simple. Apple, pears, and walnuts that are mixed together and add a dash of red wine, which commemorates the blood that was spilled. Unfortunately, there was lots of blood spilled. Many children were murdered in order to facilitate Pharaoh's slavery campaign. So just to conclude, let's finish with the bottom left of the Kaira, of your Seder plate, where you're going to have your karpas. Again, karpas, simply you got to take any vegetable. There are many customs of what to use. Some people use celery or parsnip or radish or cabbage or red onion. Um, I, I, my family custom, Chabad custom always was, to use a cooked potato, raw onion. Some people use some parsley there. And you're going to dip it into the salt water. Of course, there's a lot more to discuss, but I think it's time to wish you all a kosher and freilich and Pesach. Enjoy your seders. Make sure that you have a good family experience all together with your family. And perhaps we can have one more show squeezed in where we could go into the details of the seder itself. For now, if you want me to send you the details of how to have a simple DIY seder for your family, feel free to touch base with me and I'll give you the absolute minimum, the beer minimum. Of course, you got to do the utmost that you can. My dear friends, wishing you a kosher zisim, and Pesach, and carpe diem.